You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We've been looking at uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, beginning with Pentecost and seeing just incredible phenomena that's taking place as Christ is ascended into heaven and as the Holy Spirit comes upon all the apostles and uh, the day of Pentecost. And there's an anointing that comes upon Peter and he preaches and 3,000 new believers come into the body of Christ. In chapter 3, we see that they're heading at prayer because that's what they're devoted to. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so there they are at prayer time. They're going to the temple, and as they go there, there's the beggar, and they encounter the man who's been crippled his whole life, over 40 years old, and he's looking to get something from them. And as he's looking at, at Peter and John, uh, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he gets up. Yeah. And he's jumping, leaping, and praising God. And it shows there that it's a, it's a physical healing, it's an emotional healing, it's a spiritual healing. And so he goes into the temple. And Peter realizes, oh, this would be a good time to preach. I got everybody's attention. There's a crowd here. And so he preaches. And as a result of his preaching that day, with the sign of healing of the cripple, another 2,000 believe. So now the number goes from 3,000 to 5,000, we find in Acts chapter 4 in the first verses. I'll be reading in the New International Translation. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. I love that. They're preaching, they're teaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and another 2,000 come into faith. <laughs> and yet Peter and John go to, go to jail. They're in jail all night. They're in jail till the next morning. What do you think happened in jail that night? Don't you wish Luke would have been in jail with them so he could have written what happened? I would love to see what, what happened while they were in jail. What do you think? Here you are, you're, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, and all of a sudden you find yourself in jail. Did you break the law? No? Do you review, God, why am I in jail? What's going on? How's come this calamity has come upon me? I don't even think that was even in their thoughts. I think they were just so enraptured with the presence of the Lord and his goodness in seeing another 2,000 believers come into the kingdom while they're thrown in jail, that they're probably so excited talking about, okay, we got to make sure that when we get out, we encourage these new believers. We continue to encourage the new community of faith called the church. Yeah. And that we, we see that we're investing wisely 
with the Father's heart and ability, with the enabling grace that he gives us to see this develop as it's supposed to develop. So we continue in the story. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. So we got the who-who, who's who of, of the Sanhedrin, of the religious governing authorities. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Oh, my stars. Can you see Peter and John? It's like, it's not even a slow pitch. They're putting it up on a T. And I get rid. by what name, by what power? Wacko. I mean, you couldn't have a better setup. I mean, here these guys are playing right into the proclamation of the gospel, right into the declaration of, of the kingdom of God. You couldn't get it any better way. So here they are. Peter responds. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, <clears throat> if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Lord Hammers. I love it. Right on. We'll look at that in a minute. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Lord, we just ask that you would release your spirit, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive everything that the spirit is saying to the church today, to the glory and praise of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. By what name, by what power or what name did you do this? Question, answer. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says to the rulers and elders of the people, he wants to address them properly. Let's have a nice proper address. Just want you and everybody else in all of Israel know <laughs> if, if we have been held in jail overnight, have been arrested because you want to ask us a question, We'll be glad to spend the night in jail. If, you, if you'll listen and give us your ear, we'll, we'll tell you why. <laughs> 
If we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple. And the question is, how is he healed? Then know this, you and everyone else. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus, the anointed, the anointed one. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the chosen one, sent from heaven to earth. Mm. Upon whom the spirit resides without measure. Ah. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. The Nazareth designation lets us know that he is a human being. He is a man from Nazareth. (laughs) The Christ designation lets us know that he is the Messiah, the one sent from heaven to earth, the anointed one. And then Peter, he just never backs off, does he? Let's get this straight. The Holy One from heaven, you crucified. Mm. But God raised from the dead. And this man who's healed that's standing right here, that's how it happened. Then he wants to review again. You crucified him. You rejected Jesus. The stone that you rejected has now become the cornerstone that everything is built upon. Hmm. He wants to make it really clear that they understand this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. I find it really interesting here. In chapter 3, he went on, and when he's proclaiming in the 2000 come to faith, he says, you guys did it. You crucified him, but you acted in ignorance. You you didn't know. You didn't know what you were doing. This was to fulfill what the prophets. Now he's before the religious leaders, and he leaves that out. (laughs) You crucified him. You rejected him. He doesn't say you acted in ignorance. Uh-uh. I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? When he's addressing all the people, he wants to make sure that the, the, the ones that are coming to the temple for prayer understand that it was in ignorance that, that these things were done. Hmm. But when he's looking at the rulers, the leaders, He doesn't excuse their ignorance. But he gives them a chance to repent. Somehow that just blessed my heart a little bit. I don't know. I may be a little twisted here, a little jaded. You crucified him, you rejected him, and salvation is found in no one else. No one else. Only in Jesus. So here they hear it. I can't imagine what's going inside them. Whether the kingdom of darkness is trying to harden their hearts so that they will dig in their heels and and try to justify themselves for the actions that they did. Because you know that when when they crucified Jesus, they almost had a prophetic sense of what they were doing. 
it was better that one man die for all the people. But they're thinking so that they won't be in trouble with the Romans. But actually, one man died for all mankind forever. And here they are. This is what the leaders, the leaders are trying to figure this out. This is what they saw. The leaders, first of all, saw the courage of Peter and John. We don't get a whole lot about what John did, but courage was on both of them. They weren't backing down. They weren't speaking with, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't know we weren't supposed to do that. No, they were speaking forthrightly. They were speaking with great boldness and great courage. And then when they saw them, they realized that they were unschooled. They hadn't been to seminary. They, they were just ordinary men. And it's interesting that oftentimes when the Lord wants to reach those that consider themselves above everybody else, he usually takes those that are below everybody else to reach those that are above. Isn't that interesting? Oh, yeah. Isn't that interesting that here we have fishermen speaking to the religious scholars of the day with such, with such authority and with such courage and with such power that it, it, it rattles them at the top. And then as we, as we see later on in Acts, this whole thing gets reversed. And we have going to pagan Gentiles, the most learned scholarly scholar in all of Israel, Saul, taking the good news to the uneducated. Hmm. God always confounds us, doesn't he? He uses the foolishness of man <laughs> to confound the wise. And he calls that the wisdom of God. Somehow God in his great and wonderful ways knows that the best way to release humility to the ones who think they're above everybody else is to have someone who's beneath their dignity come and share good news with them and do miraculous supernatural stuff. And it causes them to humble themselves and to believe. And at the same time, the ones who feel like they're the, the, the lowest, at the lowest level of life on the, on the planet, he takes the most wonderfully educated person who has been humbled himself and releases to them the sense of the gospel's worth, value, and dignity for every human being so that they in their humility can receive and come up to a rightful understanding and estimate of who they are, that they are the beloved, that they are chosen, that they are so infinitely valuable, their worth can't even begin to be expressed because their worth is defined by their creator who loves them. So they see that they have courage. They see that, they, that they're just ordinary men and they are astonished. OMG. They're just jaw dropping. Are you kidding me? 
these guys are speaking like this. And here's the thing that I love. They took note that they had been with Jesus. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Something happens when you spend time with Jesus. When you when you are with Jesus. Look at the Passion Translation. I didn't put it on a slide, but I'll just read it to you. So just open your heart and, and hear verses verse 13 and 14. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. They, uh, then they began to understand the effects Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Simply by spending time with him. Simply by spending time with him. Hmm. Waiting on the Lord simply by spending time with him, waiting upon the Lord, simply by spending time with him. If you haven't figured it out, I want to emphasize this. (laughs) It's it's the thing that the Holy Spirit's just highlighting right now, I think, in, in many of our hearts, is that we need to be intentional about spending time with him. Not so much to get stuff, Although spending time in intercession, spending time in petition, you know, crying out to the Lord for justice, crying out for the Lord for his move here, 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 that's all good. But I think there's, there's a sense that we need to spend time with him, just waiting on him, knowing that he's going to come, he always comes, not knowing what he's going to do, not having some preconceived notion that I'm going to spend an hour quiet in the Lord because I've got to somehow get God on my side so that we can win this little deal that I'm working on. No, 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 no. It's not manipulative. It's spending time with him to be with him, not knowing what he's going to do as we're just with him. I wonder what he wants to do with you. We won't know unless you start spending some time with him. This is something that's available to everyone in the sound of my voice. You have a choice. You can choose to spend time with him. One of the things that I find in my own life is that a lot of times I'd rather do stuff for God than just spend time with God. And if I can kind of blend them, I would like to do stuff with God, uh, for him, with him. And, uh, and there's, there's a little difference there, because somehow in my Americanism, I, I feel like I'm being more productive if we're seeing stuff happen and get done. But it's really interesting how he's not really, Jesus 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have not conformed to our culture. Go figure. They, they haven't submitted to our priorities of value, of efficiency and effectiveness. Matter of fact, if, if we want to gain, uh, if we want to gain in our relationship with him, we have to waste time because we're not being productive. I'm not being productive. I'm just gonna waste time. I guarantee you, you will not be wasting time. You may feel like you've wasted time. You may feel like you're wasting time. You may feel like you're going to continue to waste time. But when he shows up, the experiential encounter with him in a moment can transform your life forever. Hallelujah. As you just wait upon him. And that's what he's pursuing in you. This week, you know, if you, if you haven't taken advantage of morning watch on, on Wednesday mornings, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. Starts at 7, goes to 8.30. Bring an appetite because we go to Ciro's for breakfast afterwards. And it's just a, a little commercial there. <clears throat> but as we're waiting upon the Lord and just waiting upon the Lord... It's just like you have an opportunity for an hour and a half encounter with the Holy Spirit of which he can come and do whatever he wants to do. I usually have a little devotional routine that I like to go through and I read my Jesus calling and seeking God in, in, in the scriptures and, and doing all of that kind of stuff. But once I get that, then I, I, I'm there and I, can, and I could just feel the love of God by the Holy Spirit taking something deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper than I've ever experienced in my life. Taking his love to, to the core. And, and the word that I kept thinking that kept coming to mind was that he was taking his love it, to another level in the foundation of my life. And I thought, oh Lord, this is so wonderful. So wonderful. Take your love down deeper and deeper and deeper. One of the, one of the manifestations, I think, of, of his love continuing to go down deep within us is that it, start, it, it will always have a manifest manifestation in how we speak and how we live and how we treat others, how we see others. It's really hard to get the foundational love of God deep, deep to the core, and as it's going down deep, next minute to be saying, you stupid driver, why are you cutting off my, get out of my lane, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It starts manifesting even in the little things, and you become sensitive in some of the things that you were never, ever sensitive about. It's amazing that as his love goes deeper and deeper inside of us, all of a sudden we realize, oh, that wasn't very loving at all, was it, Lord? And it's never to shame us. It's not to put us down, but it's to bring awareness. Lord, I want your love to go deeper in that place in my heart that when I come across this situation next time, I won't do the old, 
oh, I should have, I, I could have, oh, I wish I had of, but will be present in the moment because love is always, love, love is always present. Love never fails. You know, it's, it's like, okay, let your love come. Let it come. Take it deeper. Wait upon the Lord. They took note that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. This is the effects of spending time with Jesus. Simply spending time with Jesus. And it starts to change your whole perception. It, it, it transforms your emotional makeup. It transforms your desires and your will. All of a sudden you start wanting to do the things. Philippians tells us that, that it, he's at work in us both to desire and to will his good pleasure. And now we, we find that we're, we're reciprocating something with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of wanting to see the very things that they're doing come to pass because we're experiencing it. And once we experience it, we want everybody to experience it. This is why in the early church, the evangelistic zeal never got put out because they were constantly receiving more and more revelation, more understanding, more sense of authority and power in the personal relationship with Jesus that the Holy Spirit was manifested upon them and through them that was changing the world. And that stuff never gets old. You can even go to a Korean church yeah. in Cincinnati and just watch the Holy Spirit bring the love of Jesus and release the love of the Father and the manifestation of healing presence of the miraculous. And that's kingdom life. That's what it is to be alive in Christ and serving in his kingdom. We have the honor and privilege of knowing him. I find that as I'm getting older, I'm starting to make a little wiser choices. But I find that not everyone who gets older is making wiser choices. So this isn't a given. Just by longevity means that you become wise. It's by the choices that we make that as we walk those out, we start to see the wisdom of those choices and that encourages us to make even wiser choices. And one of the best choices we can ever make is to spend time with him. Just spend time with him. Be careful when you begin this week, this afternoon, this evening, spending time with him. Everything will come up. Everything will come up. I'm so glad we're preaching this Sunday and not last Sunday when the British Open was playing because some of you would have been tempted to watch golf instead of, I, I know how you guys are. You'd have been watching golf instead of spending time with Jesus. No. You know, spending time with Jesus supersedes everything. But the interesting thing is that you can spend time with Jesus anytime. Anytime in your 24-hour day, you can spend time with Jesus. I've been reading... And, and, and some of, some of the, the men that have inspired me and have really meant a lot to me, 
I find that they're up at four o'clock in the morning. And their prime time with Jesus is from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. And I thought, really? People are up at that time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody other than Rick Baumgartner? Yeah. Yes. And then I was just reading another testimony book, and, and this gentleman, in his quest to wait before the Lord, to wait on the Lord, he waits on the Lord every night from midnight to 3 a.m. And I thought, oh, I've got a lot to learn, don't I? Oh, my. Now, those are just two examples of some men that I really respect and I, I really appreciate. But you've got to find out when is your time slot? When is your time slot? Here's, here's what I find for me. I've got to find a time slot that isn't associated with anything else. I don't know what you do when you first get up. If you get your smartphone out and you, you check all your messages and everything that happened before you get your feet hit the bed, or whether uh, you're setting out dog biscuits for the neighborhood dogs or whatever you're going to do, whatever you're doing. But you got to find that time that you're normally not doing something else. That's, to me, that's key. When is the time that I can wait upon the Lord that I can put it in a time slot that I can't be distracted because, oh, that's when I, I check emails. Oh, that's when, that's when I do my devotions, you know. Do, do your devotions, but I'm, I'm going to make a, a suggestion that you find another slot that's just waiting on him, period waiting on him outside of whatever you're doing right now in your devotional love relationship with Jesus. It could be that in your, in your devotional love relationship with Jesus time, you can just tack on another little slot and just wait. That's fine. Or it could be that he wants to creatively find a time that's your time, that it's your time. This last year, we've been talking about a space, and Michelle has been putting up pictures of all sorts of comfortable chairs and corners uh, in family rooms, living rooms, bedrooms, kitchens uh, of where, where we go and where we meet with the Lord. Now let's continue to expand our time slot and add a dimension called just waiting on the Lord where we don't know what's going to happen, but we're just making ourselves and presenting ourselves to him to allow him to do to us whatever he wants to do. Sound good? Oh, yeah. I was looking in my Dropbox and I came across a message that was the State of the Union message at the beginning of January of 2019 this year. And when I looked at it, I realized, oh, yes, the Lord, the Lord kind of moved me to declare that this year was the year of loving deeply. The year of loving deeply of taking love to another level. And I just thought, isn't that interesting that I came across that this week after I had my experience on Wednesday where I felt like the love of God was going foundationally deeper than I've ever known it to go in my life. And as that's taking place, we're looking at this passage. We're hearing Chuck's testimony of kingdom activity in Cincinnati. And it's like all of this is, is 
weaving a, a beautiful blend of opportunity for us to go deeper in our love relationship with Christ. Because I, I, I know some of us are, are we're thinking, I'm never going to be one of those blazing on fire evangelists for Jesus that's just going to go up to people and say, are you saved? I'm not going to do that. But I find it's not because we don't have training and we don't have education or even faith. It's not because I don't have faith. I find that the thing that compels us to engage people, whether it's in the grocery store, whether it's at the gas station, wherever we are, the compelling thing is love, compelled by love. And so when I chicken out right now, the Holy Spirit's got a free access to my heart. And every time I chicken out, it's like I feel oh, I don't love. It's, it's, it's revealing to me a deficiency of love. It's not shaming me that I don't have enough faith and it's not shaming me about this. It, it, it humbles me and puts me in a position before the Father and say, Father, I need more of your love because I'm not seeing these situations and I'm not seeing these people the way you see them and the way you love them. I want to see the way you love. Huh. And so the last thing that the religious leaders saw was the crippled man who had been healed was standing there. And there was nothing else that could be said. Here is exhibit A. Here is the evidence that Jesus is alive. Here is the evidence that you tried to kill him, but God raised him. Amen. And it's in the power of the name of Jesus that healing, salvation, wholeness, freedom, and deliverance all is established in the wonderful name of Jesus. Let's pray. All right. <clears throat> As the worship team comes. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the beauty of Jesus, the beautiful name, and the beautiful person. We thank you that your power is still alive and well on planet Earth, and that you are the God of miracles, that you are the God that knows how to touch us at the deepest place in our heart, and I ask right now, Father, where, where we are deficient in our love expression, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would pour out your love into our hearts without measure through the Holy Spirit whom you've given to us. We receive you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. And we receive everything that you bring to us. And we receive it with thanksgiving. Let your love fill us and bring wholeness to us. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.